When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, some teams move into existing venues, and then they max them out. Then they may get something new. For some cities, whether they want an NFL team or not, Building a franchise, a new stadium, doesn't guarantee they will stay. But if you don't, they will go. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, here it is. It's Wednesday. I know we normally do it this on Tuesdays, but it's Wednesday. I have my paperwork. We're ready. Let's go. NFL historians, lovers of sports history, welcome in. This show is for everybody. How about that? It's for everybody. It's cool if you already know this stuff. That's great. There's some historians out there. They know more than me. Look, I mean, I'm I'm doing this thing because I love history, especially NFL history. But congratulations if you already do and you're listening. Thanks for listening in. But there's always someone else who doesn't. And this show is for those people. They don't know as much about NFL history. So my job, what I exist for, is to enlighten, teach, and learn. This is the Behind the Mic Podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by Belly Up Sports, Belly Up Media. Check us out, Belly Up Podcast Network. BellyUpSports.com. Go to that website. Click on it. Check out the stories, the merch, uh, and as well as when, when I say stories, we have writers, right? And then, of course, all of our mini shows. And uh, you can find us all on our home base of Megaphone. Also, the favorites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Now, before we get started, look, it's basketball season. My daughter's a, te- a cheerleader. And look, family does come first. This podcast is always going to come the way that it's supposed to come on the day that it is supposed to drop, unless I say otherwise. We normally drop this thing at 6 a.m. Uh, we record on Tuesdays. Right now, she does have games on mostly Tuesdays and Fridays. I mean, the, the NFL series, uh, season is about to wrap up here in another, what, uh, two and a half months. So if that and uh, you know, then we'll go back to being able to record normally and we get you guys in there a little bit early. Because we do, the rundown, I have to get all these games in. Monday Night Football, we had a double-decker, right? So, and that was, those were two very interesting games that I enjoyed thoroughly watching both of them at the same time on my big screen TV as well as on my iPad right next to me. So uh, my neck was kind of hurting going back and forth. But uh, the show will always drop the way it's supposed to drop, just not at the time right now. I, my baby has basketball 
game she has to cheer at. <laughs> we got to get that in. Well, anyway, storylines, storylines, storylines. So what was the storylines of week 14? All right, we had two more starting quarterbacks go down. And speaking of which, quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes was not happy. Plus the return of Zach Wilson. All right, let's go to it. Week 14, the rundown, Thursday night football, Patriots, Steelers. Now, the over and under for that game was 30 points. And why was that? Because Pittsburgh struggles to score. New England scored a total of seven points in their last two games. Zero the week before, right? Well, they explode, New England does, for 21 in the first half alone. And, you know, Pittsburgh, they scored their 10, you know, in the first half. There you go. Bailey Zappi unloaded three touchdown passes in the first half. Steelers defense, uh, you know, Gave up too much in the first half, and they couldn't complete the comeback. And for the Patriots, Zeke Elliott, he had 140 yards from scrimmage. He had a touchdown. Juju Smith-Schuster against his old old team in his old stadium had 90 yards receiving against them. Mitchell Trubisky hmm, looked a lot like Kenny Pickett. Put on a Kenny Pickett mask, or Kenny Pickett put on a Mitchell Trubisky mask. You get the picture. 22 completions and only 190 yards. One touchdown, one interception. Sounds familiar. And George Pickens, along with the other receivers, were pissed. Uh, Pittsburgh, they've lost back-to-back games against two win teams. Now this, according to Mark Caboli of The Athletic, and I quote, according to the Amazon broadcast, they became the first team over 500 to lose back-to-back games to teams that entered at least eight games under 500 in NFL history. Mm, Not good. Patriots 21, Steelers 18. Sunday, Sunday, noon, high noon. Buccaneers, Falcons, NFC South matchup. Got really exciting in the fourth quarter after Tampa Bay went to halftime leading 12 to 10. It just wasn't that great of a game until the fourth quarter. If you watch this game and actually had the feel that the Falcons probably should have won that once they finally took the lead, but not so. Desmond Ritter, he throws for 347 yards, rushes for the touchdown, and then he throws the two-point conversion to Drake London that put them up in the fourth. And London, he had, he had a field day, 172 yards receiving. But Baker Mayfield drove Tampa 75 yards in 12 pay, plays for the game-winning touchdown. And, but at one point, he had missed on six of seven passes. Didn't look like they was going to do it. But his last one, Decade Otten, the tight end with 31 seconds left to play, put the Bucks up late. Atlanta, they put up a prayer. Ritter to London to the Tampa Bay three. He caught the football, but time ran out. Tick, tick, tick. Buccaneers 29, Falcons 25. Colts, Bengals. As a Steelers fan, I'm thinking, why can't my backup quarterback do that? For the second week in a row, Jake Browning put up numbers in another game. Bengals win versus the probable playoff team, right? He did have some help, though. And it wasn't necessarily Jamar Chase, but their rookie running back, Chase Brown. The kid had 105 yards from scrimmage and a touchdown. Not to mention Joe Mixon. He ran for 79 and another score of his own. And the Bengals got a little bit uh, of a scare at one point. Brown had left the game with a hand injury, and it turned out, as he said, it was embarrassing having a muscle cramp in his throwing hand. But not much to say about the Colts. They kept it up until halftime. It was a repeat of the Apple Cup of a couple of years ago. You got Gardner Minshew, who was the quarterback for Washington State, and then Browning, who's 
playing right now like he did back when he was playing for the Washington Huskies. But uh, the Colts and Minshew, they kept up until halftime. And after that, it was all Cincy. Bengals 34, Colts 14. Jaguars, Browns. Pre-game, I'm watching the pre-game show as I'm getting ready for church. Trevor Lawrence had no trainers around him. Didn't even see a brace at the time around that high ankle sprain that he suffered. Only days ago, I'm sure he got about 80 shots in that ankle. But he was going to play on a short week uh, after that Monday night football game. And he probably, just maybe, should have taken the day off. Of course, I'm kidding. Kind of. There were a lot of turnovers in this game. And in spite of the three touchdowns that Trevor Lawrence was personally responsible for, he was also responsible for three interceptions. It was tight end day for both teams. Evan Ingram, he had 11 catches, 95 yards and two scores for Jacksonville. David Njoku showed out, uh, had, what, 91 yards on six catches, and he scored twice for Cleveland. Joe Flacco, the 38-year-old that was on his couch eating cereal, was on fire, and he named the starter for the rest of the season. Looks like their playoff hopes are pretty high for the Browns. Three touchdowns and 311 yards. If the defense keeps playing like they can and the offense has this shot in the arm through Flacco, a guy that's been to the Super Bowl, I know it was some years ago, doesn't matter, he's been there, done that. They could probably do some, do some things. They could make some damage in the playoffs. We'll see. But Lawrence, he brought Jacksonville within four. Um, and they went for two instead of taking the extra point, but it didn't matter. They did the onside kick thing, and the Browns recovered it, and that was it. Browns 31, Jaguars 27. Texans, Jets, well, still raining in New York, uh, and this time, I mean, I think it actually gave Zach Wilson and that Jets offense superpowers on Sunday. The stadium went, MetLife actually looked kind of empty, but the people that was there, they got to see a show. These Jokers have struggled to score touchdowns all year long, let alone points, okay? I picked the wrong week as a fantasy owner of both Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson to put them on the bench because I was just sick and tired of trying them. They they come in with high expectations and they, they, they fall in their face. They both scored like 20-something points to over 20 points in, in fantasy. Anyway, but you never know it at halftime as far as the game is concerned that uh, this was the first of two games on Sunday to go scoreless at halftime. The Jets offense got a squeeze of that Michael Jordan secret stuff in that water bottle. Yeah, he scored 30 points in the second half. Zach Wilson, 300 yards passing, two touchdowns. Garrett Wilson, nine catches, a buck 08. Brees Hall, eight catches and 86 yards in the score. And he ran for 40 on the ground. The Texans, on the other hand, not looking good. They lost Nico Collins to injury. Then C.J. Stroud's head comes off the back of the carpet. He goes out in the fourth quarter with a concussion. He was sacked four times and only threw for 91 yards. Not good. Jets, 30. Texans, 6. Rams, Ravens, another rainy day. And this time it didn't matter. 68 points were scored in this game. Very fun game to watch. And of course, I was rooting for the Rams as a Steelers fan. But by the way, uh, did you see that diving catch from Puka Nakua? That was just absolutely beautiful beautiful no gloves or anything they just dove caught the ball the guy has hands anyway this one turned into one of those back and forth games that came down to the fourth quarter baltimore they were up by one 23 to 21 matt stafford eight plays 85 yards touchdown pass to demarcus robinson and then uh you know demar jackson gets the ball back 
13 plays, 75 yards. Jackson to Zay Flowers, 21-yard touchdown pass. And a two-pointer to Flowers. The Ravens are up by three, 31-28. Matt Stafford, he gets the ball back. Seven plays, 57 yards. And then they get a game-tying field goal. We go to overtime. Ravens, three plays, punt. Rams, three plays, punt. And then they punt to a guy who's returning his first ever, Tyler Wallace. Ran it back 76 yards for a walk-off touchdown. That was that was great uh, for the Ravens, and they went nuts in that stadium. And the Rams special teams, they just couldn't cat. They couldn't tackle. Fourth punt return for a touchdown in overtime in NFL history. Ravens 37, Rams 31. Lions, Bears, the Bears were ready this time. There would be no comeback. No biting of Chicago ankles by Detroit that Sunday, this past Sunday. The Lions lost their second game in three weeks. Offensively, they struggled through there. Four sacks on Jared Goff. He throws uh, throws two interceptions. Defensively, they just kind of gone backwards. They've given up big plays through the air a lot. You saw the Thanksgiving Day game. Same thing was going on here. Um, and then when you look at, in particular, that fourth down and 13, if you didn't see it, the Bears score a touchdown on fourth and 13. Justin Fields to DJ Moore for 38 yards. And DJ Moore, there was no one within 10 yards of the guy. And while Fields and the offensive um, team, they put up points. Detroit, you know, they had, it just wasn't, it just wasn't, you know, the best day offensively for Detroit. Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery, they ran for 66 yards apiece. But Sam Laporta, Amaral, St. Brown, they were on a milk cart. So, it, Laporta and Brown combined with five catches and 44 yards. And Josh Reynolds had 44 yards by himself, if you want to look at it numbers-wise. But anyway, you slice it, the Lions, they're 9-9-4. and four. They're still looking for that 10th win of the season. And this is the long, the wrong, rather, the wrong time Detroit to lose football games. Bears 28, Lions 13, Panthers, Saints. Not a lot to talk about, except the fact the Panthers are, you know, they're moving to the top of the draft a little bit closer. They won't be able to be at the very top unless they trade back with the Bears or something like that but Bryce Young needs an offensive line they just it's just my eyes bleed when I watch their offense Derek Carr he comes back from all of these injuries that he's had for the umpteenth time this season but Carr in his center is probably the highlight of the game and him and Eric McCoy they had a sideline disagreement of course all is well but this came after the only sack of the game and then, uh, you know, I'm surprised at that. Derek Carr, he throws two touchdowns. Alvin Kamara runs for another. Jimmy Graham made an appearance. His fourth catch of the year and his third touchdown of the year. New Orleans now in a three-way tie at 6-7 and seven for first place in the NFC South. Saints 28, Panthers 6. Afternoon slate. Ooh, this was a stinker. Vikings, Raiders. Second game tied at zero by halftime and beyond. You didn't miss much. Justin Jefferson, he suffers a chest injury. He's going to play this week from what he's told reporters. In the second quarter, he was gone the rest of the game. Fourth quarter, Josh, Josh, uh, Josh Jacobs hurt his knee. Josh Dobbs got benched for Nick Mullins. And there were fans sleep at the game. So, you know, Minnesota, uh, Minnesota kicker Greg Joseph, he kicked what proved to be the game-winning field goal with a minute and 57 left in the game. And then the Raiders, Aiden O'Connell, he got picked off uh, by Ava, uh, Ivan Pace Jr. And that was pretty much on their final drive. That was the that was the game. Vikings three, Raiders zip. Seahawks 49ers, pregame news. He would go again with another quarterback issue. Geno Smith out. 
got a groin issue, Drew Locke in at quarterback. And I was thinking blowout because, I mean, when Drew Locke is playing quarterback, it's just not great. But at least, you know, it wasn't the blowout that you would expect. But first play from scrimmage, Christian McCaffrey, 72 yards. I wish they had gave him the ball so he could go and get, get the six points. I needed that in fantasy. Yeah, I know fantasy stuff. But, I mean, uh, you know, he needed a breather. That was a long run for the first play of the game. But Locke and the Seahawks, they kept up for a while. And they actually led 10-7 to after the first quarter. All right, you know. Brock Purdy and Debo Samuel, they were unleashed again. Career high for Purdy, 368 yards passing. Uh, Debo Samuel, he scores on the ground. He scores uh, through the air. He has 149 yards receiving. Brandy, Brandon Ayuk had over 100 yards receiving. Um, but, uh, you know, it, 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 Locke wasn't terrible in the game, but he did throw two picks. And that second one, at the very end, you know, a brouhaha ensued because uh, – DK Metcalf was not happy with Fred Warner, but oh well. The 49ers get their 10th win of the season. Come on, Lions. What are you doing? 49ers 28, Seahawks 16. Excuse me. Bills, Chiefs. The Bills had to have this game. Period, point blank. They entered the game 6-6 six six record. Terrible record for such a good team. All year long, Kansas City's offense has been a seesaw. More down than up. Okay? And... Uh, a lot of it's due to their receiving core. Their receiving core, they're just dropping the ball left and right. Travis Kelsey included. Sorry, Tay-Tay. But you, know, you got to catch the football. They lead the league in drops, right? Down 17-7 in the third quarter. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, they ultimately tied this game. You know, going into the fourth quarter, uh, they score again, and the, the game is tied at 17, right? Tyler Bass, he kicks a field goal. One minute and 54 left to go in the game. Right, they bleed the clock down. They have a 12 play, five minute drive, and then they take a three point lead. And then it happened. Any receiver, you should know, check with the ref, turn to him, point. I'm on the line. Okay, if I'm off the line, I'm throwing my hand back and I'm scooting back. Right? Well, you know, <laughs> Kadarius Tony didn't do that. Second down to 10 from the Buffalo 49. 112 left to go in the fourth quarter. Mahomes to Travis Kelsey for 25 yards, and then Kelsey turns and throws a backwards lateral, perfect spiral to Tony, who's wide open. He scores for 24 yards out, but the flag goes in the air, and he was offsides. He had a whole foot that was offsides. Now, once again, after two more Mahomes incompletions, Kansas City turns the football over on downs. How many times have we seen that this year? Mahomes was livid over the play which they they scored the go-ahead touchdown to win the game and the the ref did throw the full throw the flag a little bit late normally you would see the flag thrown at the snap of the ball and it did come out a little bit late but it was it was a foul nonetheless it just was and Mahomes he since his apologized to the refs apologized to the fans apologized to his family apologized to uh to Josh Allen who he kind of you know, had a little bit of attitude with, you know, and talking to him with, he was still upset and hot. I understand that. And I think Josh did too. But anyway, that was it. The crazy part, and the, same, the exact same drive, apparently Von Miller was also lined up in the neutral zone. No flag was thrown. Just saying. Just saying. Bills 20, Chiefs 17, Broncos, Chargers. Second quarter, 
we lose another quarterback for the season. Justin Herbert suffers a fractured index finger on his throwing hand. Clearly, the offensive line for the Chargers is just not great. Six quarterback hits, four sacks. Russell Wilson was healthy. He played just fine. And although he threw another pick this week, he countered that with two touchdown passes. And like it or not, the Chargers will be going with Easton Stick for the rest of the season. You'll say hello to him on Thursday Night Football against the Raiders. Uh, there you go. Broncos 24, Chargers 7, Sunday Night Football. Here we go! Eagles-Cowboys. Well, 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 look who caught up with the Philadelphia Eagles in record. All right, the Dallas Cowboys. Hey, uh, you got Coach uh, Mike McCarthy. He had an emergency appendectomy and was back on the sidelines within days. Of course, no, he wasn't going to miss this game. Very big game. And I don't think the Eagles ever had a chance. The offense um, was held without a touchdown. And speaking of which, the only one they scored was on a scoop and score by their defense. And the Cowboys, no problems. They led 24-6 at the half. Brandon Aubrey, um, that dude has a serious leg for Dallas. He kicks four field goals, 60, 59, 45, and 50. Wow. Cowboys 33, Eagles 13. Monday Night Football doubleheader. Titans, Dolphins. Had a discussion with one of my buddies at work. Uh, he's one of four Dolphins fans that I know that actually are here in Nashville. But I simply asked him against the Titans, what if they lose? Well, Dolphins, 13 and a half point favorites. The only touchdown that they had in the first half was a pick six. <laughs> Will Levis throws the ball right to the defensive lineman on a screen pass. But the Dolphins, um, they're not the same without Tyreek Hill. He rolls his ankle after that horse collar, uh, but he sat out a good portion of that game and really wasn't the same. The Titans, they tried to give the game away because this was all Titans. If you really look at it, you, know, you had the muff punt, and then you had a bad fumble, uh, a bad pitch on, and it turned out to be a fumble from Levis to Derrick Henry. And the game went from being tied at 13 to the Titans being down in a 14-point hole, 27 to 13. But let's be honest, they didn't play bad defensively, the Titans didn't. The mistakes got the Dolphins points. Tennessee literally gifted Miami three touchdowns, straight up. Levis in the office, they shook the mistakes off. They scored a touchdown uh, in, in nine plays. And then the defense forces another Miami punt. And it only took 26 seconds for Tennessee to score in four plays to retake the lead. And then let's not talk about Chubb snatching his helmet off. And it would have been, what, fourth down and, and very long. And that didn't help uh, Miami's cause either, either. And then the defense for the Titans, they took care of Tua with a sack at the end of the game. And that was it. Titans 28, Dolphins 27, Packers Giants. Packers don't, they just did not look right, you know, majority of the night. They couldn't get it together. And Jordan Love was really, really inaccurate. But nevertheless, it was one of those back and forth games. It was a good game. Packers led at halftime. On the other side, Tommy DeVito, I'm Italian. Uh, he started his fourth game. Not a lot of passing yards, but you know that's not the way Brian Dayball wanted him to do the thing, right? He ran for 71 yards. If you watched it, just 10 carries. He had plenty of design quarterback ones, and then he had some he just took off. He was 17 of 21 for a buck 58 and a touchdown. Stayed away from the turnovers. Saquon ran for 86 yards. He scores two touchdowns on the ground. But Barkley fumbles on the very next drive, giving Green Bay a short field. And uh, love to Malik Heath for a touchdown that put Green Bay up in the fourth quarter late, 22-21. to 21. Well, it was Tommy time. DeVito went 4-4 four for four on that last drive, including a big 32-yarder to Wandale Robinson. 
and a couple of Saquon Barkley clock chewing, let's move the ball in field goal position, set up Randy Bullock's 37-yard field goal try with two seconds left. And I'll close it out with my man Akeem from Coming to America, just in case you didn't see the professional football contest on Monday. The Giants of New York took on the Packers of Green Bay. And at the end, the Giants triumphed by kicking an oblong ball made of pigskin through a big edge. It was a most ripping victory. It was Giants 24, Packers 22. Coming up next, our third and final part of historic NFL stadiums. If you build it, they will come. Or will they go? In doing this whole series, it's been really, really interesting and uh, looking at all of these older stadiums, whether they still exist or not. I've already made plans to do, I actually made myself uh, one of those lists, a bucket list, a stadium bucket list. Um, because I haven't done a lot of traveling to a lot of different cities NFL-wise. It's something that I always wanted to do, but I just never had the time. And I'm already making this list so I'm going to these parks where they were playing in the 1900s and the 1920s. I'm going to see some of these existing stadiums, whether it's a game or not. I just want to see them. I really do. Uh, we were in Dallas, uh, and I, although we went to go see AT&T, Jerry World, I just completely blanked out on actually going to see the Cotton Bowl. I wanted to see the Cotton Bowl. And I, I did not go. I, I just did not go. I, I didn't even think about it. Um, we were down there for an entirely different purpose, but still is one of those situations where it's like I didn't even think about it until like the other day. And this was going back this summer when we went to Dallas, Texas. And uh, it, was, it was a decent trip. You know, we, we did some things, but I should have looked around. But I've compiled and I'm not done. I want to, I want to, to compile a bucket list. I actually would like to see every existing NFL stadium but I really want to see a lot of the old ones and even the spots where the they used to exist the ones that have been demolished but um let's go ahead and get started man uh so we've been bouncing from team to team and basically uh a lot of this has been built off a great video that I watched uh the NFL explained the NFL explained has a lot of great detailed NFL uh, uh, sponsored videos and you know the one that I is NFL throwback the NFL explained is titled the history of every NFL stadium and I started with the Dayton triangles and and at this point I've gone all the way up and I I, I didn't necessarily skip teams but I'm not going to try to cramp everything into you know a, a couple parted shows gotta have more stuff to talk about and it's always something that jumps up there and you know this right here is just something that really um, it, it makes me want to get in my car or jump on a plane and fly to go see this stuff. There's one thing about NFL history that I love is actually seeing where something happened or just history, period, seeing where something happened. I went to Dealey Plaza in Dallas just to see exactly where Kennedy was assassinated. It's so small. I, I, I just never really thought about it until I actually got there. And it, I mean, it's, it's amazing. But anyway. And studying these NFL teams and learning all these things, there were two teams that moved around a lot. 
And, uh, of course, the Cardinals were one of them. They bounced around for a lot of different purposes. And some of these teams, I didn't give all every single last one of them that they went to as far as stadium-wise, even Green Bay. They bounced around to pretty much advertise the team. Hey, you know, we're the Green Bay Packers. We're a professional football team. Come see us. The Cardinals before them, you know, they, they and they're like the oldest, other than the Bears, the oldest NFL team. And you know, they bounced around a lot, not just Arizona and St. Louis, but they played some games up in Minnesota because it's like, well, we're thinking about putting a team up in Minnesota. Yeah, hello, Vikings. Uh, but they bounced around in city and out of the city. And uh, this next team, you know, they kind of did that a little bit themselves. Uh, the L.A. Rams. Well, before they were the L.A. Rams, kick the music, they were established in 1936 as the Cleveland Rams, okay, in the second incarnation of the AFL. And that season in 1936, they were actually pretty decent, 5-2-2. Two, and two. But that would be the last time for a while that they would actually have a winning record. Well, they moved over into the NFL uh, in 1937, and their home games were played at League Park. And this was a total of actually 14 games from 1937 to 1938. Well, not 14 games. Get to that in a minute. 1937 to 1938 they played at league park that was actually built and it was made of wood back in 1891 they rebuilt it in 1910 and it was made more of concrete and steel and again prefacing all of this a lot of if not all of these stadiums until now they talking about present day 2023 a majority of stadiums they were sharing with baseball most likely professional baseball okay and so they had this stadium that was rebuilt in 1910 and it housed the cleveland indians and then the cleveland buckeyes of the negro leagues back in the day well and so the rams bounced around a little bit okay again they played at league park from their in their inception into the nfl in 1937 they played there for two years 37 to 38 then they moved to municipal stadium uh, from 39 to 44 but right there in the middle was world war ii that was going on the 1943 season was suspended they didn't even they ceased operations for that one year and then when they came back uh from 44 to 45 they were playing in league park again and they were the nfl champs their first winning season uh and in the nfl as an nfl team and then after that they not only left league park and municipal stadium if you want to say that too but they also left the city of cleveland so they ended up wanted to go play in la their owner at the time dan reeves not the same dan reeves obviously they coached the broncos and played for the dallas cowboys uh but they ended up moving there they wanted to, the sunshine of la they wanted a bigger better stadium and all that stuff because uh between municipal and league park one was smaller than the other we'll get to that later on in the show and actually, they would move to L.A. and they would actually have a stay playing their home games at L.A. Memorial Coliseum from 1946 to 1979. Now, this was an old stadium. It was uh, the NFL started in 1920, right? The next year in 1921, they broke ground on L.A. Memorial and it was completed May 1st, 1923 and had a capacity of about 75,000. Of course, you know, you could fit 100,000 people in there, right? And they built that stadium just under $1 million, well, 954873 if you want the exact number. Well, and it was named for World War I veterans, all right? The torch 
that's out there was added in 1930 and that was because they were going to be playing host to the 1932 Olympic Games. Now, and it was also the home for the USA Tro USC Trojans since they opened in 1923. Well, 1946, the Rams, you know, they want to move there and they want to play their home games, but there was a problem, all right? Y'all remember, if you've listened to my show long enough, we talked about a man by the name of Hal Harding, or Hallie Harding, rather. The NFL did not have an African-American player since 1933. There was the, uh, let's just say that they were uh, kind of blackballed from the league, you know, to say it uh, the right way. The Coliseum was a publicly funded venue, and there were no black players on the Rams. Hallie Harding made this point. He was a former Negro League shortstop and a current sports reporter at the time, made his famous speech at the L.A. Memorial Coliseum meeting. And he did this in front of the owner of the Rams, Dan Reeves, as well as the GM, Child Walsh. And they ended up signing Kenny Washington and Woody Strode, becoming the first team to reintegrate the NFL going back to 1946. You cannot play in this publicly funded venue and not allow us to be in. You're going to take my money as a black man or a minority, and you're not going to allow uh, us to even play in this venue. Can't do it. You can't play here if you don't sign some black players. And that's exactly what they did. Um, go back to my Hallie Harding uh, show. Uh, but anyway, they were the first professional football team to do that. And then uh, the Rams weren't the only team to actually play in that venue in 1946 as its home stadium. The LA Dons, how many of you guys know Don Amici? Yeah, he was the majority owner, I believe, of the of the LA Dons of the All-America Football Conference, the AAFC. And, uh, you know, they shared that stadium as far as it being their home. Well, their last game was played, what, uh, Sunday, on a Sunday, December 29th, 2019, only a couple of years ago, and they won against the Arizona Cardinals. But back in, uh, built in 1966, Anaheim Stadium would become their next home going in from 1979 into the 1980 season. So Anaheim Stadium, now known as Angel Stadium, the big A, this stadium actually uh it was it, that was going to be their next spot they wanted something else uh and i understand it because part of the problem was they had trouble filling it you have a hundred thousand people that can go in this place and uh you know you can sell a lot of tickets but everybody's not showing up to these games well anaheim was a little bit stay uh smaller stadium and so they did it and it actually was expanded from forty-three thousand to about sixty-five thousand. And the owner, Carol Rosenblum, wanted a new stadium to play in in the, in the first place. And the deal was made November of 1978, but he never got to see it because he died in a drowning accident in 1979. But they, uh, 1994, they moved to St. Louis. They played their first four games at Bush Stadium. And then they moved into what was uh, unfinished, then finished Trans World Dome from 1995. And they played there to 2015 course that was also known as the edward jones dome now the dome at america's center right the greatest show on turf played there kurt warner marshall fogg toy holt it hosted two nfc championship games 
And then 21 years later, they went back to LA Coliseum 2016 to 2019. They played that last game against the Cardinals before they moved into SoFi Stadium in 2020, the $5 billion stadium with the $2.2 million uh, uh, million pound 4K HDR video board. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so the Rams' second Super Bowl trophy was actually won at SoFi. Of course, they played the Cincinnati Bengals uh, in Super Bowl 56, and that was their first title in L.A. Their first one, uh, the first Super Bowl title that the Rams ever won was in St. Louis, right? And then um, you know, they'll host this the Super Bowl again in 2027 at the Trans World Dome. As far as what happened to their stadiums that they moved out of, Trans World Dome, you know, home to an XFL team, you know, one time. Um, but the L.A. Coliseum still exists, of course. Anaheim, which Angel Stadium, is only Major League Baseball only. They reconfigured it to fit them and suit them well. And as for Memorial Stadium, well, we'll get to that in a moment. League Park, the stands were torn down, what, in 1951? And it was actually listed as a historic place in 1979. And in 2014, League Park was renovated for $5 billion. It's beautiful now. It really is. But... Speaking of the AAFC, and speaking of Municipal Stadium, when the Rams left Cleveland, they were replaced that next year in 1946 uh, by the Cleveland Browns. All-American Football Conference, right? The AAFC. Uh, they started playing in Municipal Stadium. They were born of Paul Brown. Um, like I said, the same year that the Rams moved, and they also integrated to well, Paul Brown a couple months later. He did the exact same thing with his team by signing Bill Willis and Marion Motley. Um, but their home games uh, were going to be played at Municipal Stadium that was built actually in 1931. They practiced at League Park in the ninth, even up to what the 1960s. But they played their home games at Municipal, which is we know now is what well, we knew at the time is Cleveland Municipal Stadium. And it was on the lakefront with the mistake by the lake. So. Major League Baseball's Indians played around in there from 1932 to 1947. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, the home games for the Indians were played at League Park during the week because it was a smaller venue. People were busy. They're working. But they played the Municipal on weekends. You got more people um, in the bigger stadium. The Browns have played at their home longer than any other team since their inception. No other team can say that. All right. And they weren't bouncing around like a lot of others. And while in the AAFC, they won all those titles all four years. Three of those titles were actually played at Cleveland Municipal Stadium. 1946, 1948, where they were undefeated. And in 1949, they hosted four championship games, three wins of those eight championship games that they played in when they moved into the NFL in 1950. And of course, if you don't already know the story of 1995, Art Modell, who had been wanting a new stadium because Cleveland Municipal was so old, right? He ended up moving them to Baltimore. Why? They did the city wasn't budging really. Money was actually spent more so on Jacobs Field, Gurn Arena, where the Indians and then of course the uh the Cleveland Cavaliers were playing. And then even the Rock and Roll Museum. And not the 65-year-old Cleveland Municipal. You know, so he's like, all right, no problem. I'm out of here. Um but he had to leave without taking the name, the history, the colors, all of that stayed. Cleveland was back. The Browns were back in 1999, and Cleveland Municipal Stadium was actually demoed in 1996. New Cleveland Stadium, 
Now we know it as First Energy. They began building it May 15, 1997 for the good old price of $283 million on the same exact land. 15 tons of the old Cleveland Municipal Derbys, uh, it was dumped into Lake Erie. I had no idea. And that was to create artificial reefs. It's pretty good. And unfortunately, it's the only stadium, First Energy, not to host a postseason game. Ouch. Uh, another AAFC team, we talked about uh, the Browns, and well, they were also established in 1946, the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, they played their home games in Keezer Stadium, and this was, I didn't know about the name, but it was named for the Keezer family, all right? Uh, they were pioneers in the San Francisco area. Uh, so, uh, it say it was the last of that family, Mary Keezer, had passed away, and so they had a $100,000 gift uh, from her estate that was given, I guess, to the city. Uh, and the San Francisco Park Commission, uh, it was given it to them to build a memorial, and they added, the city did, 200K from that, uh, from the city, uh, and the city of San Francisco, rather. And the stadium was built in a year for about, what, $600,000 total. From 1946 to 1949, they were in the AFC, and they actually, that, that was their home pretty much from 46 going all the way up until 1971. The 49ers moved to the NFL along with the original Baltimore Colts as well as the Cleveland Browns. And they were they were there for 25 years. And describing the stadium, uh, it's, it still exists today, but at the time, it was a complete oval, right? Concrete bowl. The bleachers were like, you have one set of bleachers, apparently, from what I've seen and what I've read, that went all the way around. Um, and the capacity was about 60,000. And I also read in my favorite book that's falling apart, America's Game. Of course, you know, my two, uh, <laughs> my two authors, Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams. Um, it was a multi use stadium, 60,000 capacity, and they had different sports boxing, high school football, track meets, cricket, baseball, car races, lacrosse, rugby. And so, you know, they had a lot of different things that was going on. But looking at the way that the stadium was, and I even talked about um, or read more so about how it was uh, in different different websites and different things where it talked about how, uh, you know, cold hot dogs and, and hot beer, warm beer and things like that. I'm sure any stadium could have that story. But one that I thought was interesting was talking about Dan Fouts. You know, the book was talking about Dan Fouts. Fouts, before he was a Hall of Fame quarterback, actually was a ball boy. And, you know, he would go to the games anyway and sit in the stands at times. His father, Bob, was the announcer for the 49ers back in the day. And he, he talked about when you order something, you know, if someone's, you know, uh, they're, they're ordering hot dogs or whatever and someone would pass down the food. It's like you probably don't want to you know, get people to order a hot dog because by the time your hot dog gets to you, somebody is taking bites of it. And even don't worry about your change because some of your change is probably gone too. So that's pretty that's pretty interesting. And then they also had this tunnel at one end of the stadium, which both teams had to use leaving and coming into the game. And then apparently uh, those 49er fans, they were just as bad as Raider fans and, and they could throw some stuff at you. Uh, they talked about one of those great quarterbacks back then, John Brody. He said that he was walking behind the Hall of Famer John Unitas, and he said the first time that he was walking back, walking out of the tunnel, 
it's like look he said he didn't have his helmet on you probably want to put your helmet on bro if you're going to walk out with me because you know they throw cans of beer and soda it got bad and it got so bad to the point where they had to build a thick wire overhang for that tunnel entry that's how bad it got but you had those great players that played there the bob st Clair's, hugh mclehaney's white tittle joe perry john henry johnson leo nomalini gene washington as well as uh john brody and the moments that happened there for instance the jim marshall wrong way run of his in 1964 yeah that happened at keezer the last game uh in keezer for the 49ers was the 1970 nfc championship game on january 3rd 1971 um dallas beat them there 17 to 10 and of course in 1971 they moved to candlestick park i did not know at candlestick is gone now but i had no idea that that stadium was that old i did not so you know we talked about in our first part of this thing of this series you had the the new york well actually going back to the 1958 championship game we talked about with the polo grounds and and how the giants needed to move into a better a better venue of course the new york baseball giants uh, and the brooklyn dodgers moved the Giants were playing in Candlestick Park when they moved. 1971, the 49ers move in. It was named after Candlestick Point, which was named after the Candlestick Birds in the area. And, um, and it was actually the last place, I didn't know this either, that the Beatles actually played a concert in 1966. Uh, so, you know, you had the Giants that left the polo grounds and all that stuff where the Giants were sharing that stadium, uh, the New York baseball Giants were sharing that stadium with San Francisco. And eventually, um, you know, he was named Candlestick because of a, uh, a name that park contest. The AFL Raiders actually played in there before the 49ers did back in 1960 before they moved into their other stadium. They played their final three games of their season, the Oakland Raiders did. Of course, you know, the 49ers dynasty was playing there, eight NFC championship games. The first, which was in 1982, the catch, uh, 49ers Cowboys. And uh, it, it was a great revenge game because Dallas had beaten San Francisco in back-to-back -back championship games and then also in division game uh, in 1972, going from 1970s, 1971, 1972. They could get away from Dallas. But countless moments, Montana Rice, Lott, uh, Bill Walsh, Roger Craig, Fred Dean, Steve Young. And uh, they stayed at Candlestick until 2014. And, of course, July 17, 2014, they would uh, go into Levi Stadium, you know, for a nice price of $1.2 billion. You know, they did not want to continue to share the stadium with Major League Baseball. And so they go 40 miles away to Santa Clara, <laughs> which they're the furthest team away from their city that which their team is named for. Seats 68,500, expands to 75,000. They got a rooftop farm, which is called what, Faithful Farm? At 4,000 square feet of farm where they grow tomatoes and squash and peppers and herbs and all kinds of things like that. And that's, that food is actually used in the dishes that are served in the stadium. And they produce what, of produce, yeah, 7,500 pounds of produce per year it's played host to super bowl 50 peyton man his last game you know and they beat carolina with denver uh and it's going to host the super bowl in 2026 february of 2026 super bowl 60 to be exact candlestick park was demoed in 2015 
and uh keys are like i said it was rebuilt and it actually is smaller so it's not a complete bowl anymore it still holds multiple sports now last but not least and look please bear with me the show is longer than usual but please bear with me this was my favorite one so we know about the indianapolis colts they play at lucas oil stadium 720 million dollars and they moved into that stadium in 2008 before that they were at the rca dome formerly known as the hoosier dome that was actually broke ground in what 1982 and was finished in 1984 that stadium was demoed in 2008 you know so that uh, well, the Colts were moving into lucas all right well why was that stadium built it was built for an nfl team to lure and attract an nfl team right that they did not have they did not have a team the owner at the time of course robert ursay uh, he wanted a new stadium. They were in Baltimore. The city was slow to move for it, right? Indy had a house ready. Go all the way back to 1972. Ursay and the owner of the Colts at the time, Carol Rosenblum, they basically traded franchises, right? The Rams for the Colts, they both had the, a common problem, an old stadium and a city that did not want to build a new one at the time so before we hit that let's talk about the aafc okay 1946 the miami seahawks uh and really they actually have roots going all the way back to the Dayton triangles we'll go through that another day but the miami seahawks their owner they only lasted a season their owner couldn't afford a team the franchise and the players were awarded to baltimore for the 1947 season by 1950 baltimore along with san francisco and cleveland they go into the NFL, but that team only lasts one year. They stunk. Let's just be real. They stunk. They followed up like a cheap tent. 1953, they're back with their owner, Carol Rosenblum, who is a Baltimore native. Memorial Stadium is where the AAFC Baltimore Colts called home, as well as the new Colts in 1953 called home as well. And so, you know, you had two versions of this stadium. And it's kind of like the polo grounds. The polo grounds had four different versions. Really, it was two because the first one was uh, around Central Park. And then that one was scrapped. And then they moved out there to Manhattan. And, uh, of course, you know, which is across the river from present-day Yankee Stadium. And they kept rebuilding it. Well, they did two versions of Memorial Stadium. The first one was actually built in 1921 and opened in 1922. Then the second version was pretty much built in 1949, opened in 1950. They had to redo it, right? Home for the Baltimore Orioles, as well as a couple other minor league teams, and even the Baltimore Ravens, if you fast forward to the year I graduated high school in 1996, going into 1997. Well, Memorial Stadium, known as Baltimore Stadium, Venerable Stadium, and when Babe Ruth died, who was another Baltimore native, and he died in 1948, it was briefly renamed Babe Ruth Stadium. Babe, uh, Baltimore Memorial Stadium was also known as the gray, the old gray lady of 33rd Street. The world's largest outdoor insane asylum. Had crazy fans, right? According to ballparks of baseball, the 1922 version was built as a football stadium. But in the summer of 1944, it became home for the Orioles. And I also quote, Mayor Theodore R. McKilden announced plans to either renovate Memorial, uh, excuse me, Municipal. Am I saying Memorial? I meant to say Municipal Stadium. Municipal, Municipal. Okay, we're talking about Municipal. 
Memorial, Municipal, Veterans, a lot of them have the same names. Please forgive me. They were going to renovate Municipal Stadium or build a new stadium in 1947. Voters approved a $2.5 million measure to rebuild Municipal Stadium. The entire stadium was rebuilt beginning in 1949 and completed a year later. Now, the seating capacity increased from 31,000 to 47,700. Boxes were added in 1961, and that was something that Rosenblum wanted. He wanted box seats. And then by 1970, the capacity for football was up to 65,000. Like most stadiums, named for a memorial, uh, uh, named a memorial for veterans, right? This one was named uh, in honor of those who died in World Wars One and Two. All right, Memorial Stadium would be the home for the Baltimore Colts from 1953 to 1983. The stadium housed some of the greatest coaches and players in NFL history. Hall of Famers such as Weave Eubank, Don Shula, uh, those coaches, quarterback John Unitas, Artie Donovan, Gino Marchetti, Raymond Berry, Lenny Moore, John Mackey, Jim Parker. You had great players like Lenny Moore, Alan Amici. Memorial Stadium, they hosted the 1959 championship, their second win in a row against the Giants. The first one was at Yankee Stadium, the 1958 famous championship, right? They went to overtime. It also hosted their first, first and only AFC championship game, a 27-17 win against the Oakland Raiders in route to winning Super Bowl V against the Dallas Cowboys back in 1970. Now, here are some notes from a show that I did last year called The Mayflower. The Baltimore Colts had been to six championships, Okay, between 1958 and 1970. Okay? Three titles, not to mention 12 winning seasons between 57 and 70. The fans were either bored or they just were set off nothing less than just winning every single game. Rosenblum wanted renovations at least at Memorial Stadium. Okay? And he even offered to build a $10 million stadium outside the city of Baltimore, but the city wouldn't allow it. Now, between their Colts fan, uh, the Maryland governor, uh, what's his name, Marvin Mandel, and then Baltimore Mayor William Donald Schaefer, and then Bill Boucher, who was the executive director of the Greater Baltimore Organization. They all combined in an attempt uh, to push through plans for a new stadium, according to Sports Illustrated. But they waited too late. L.A. Rams owner Dan Reeves, he passed away from cancer. Chicago native and businessman Robert Ursay put in the highest bid for the LA Rams at 19 million. One. Then, July 26, 1972, Rosenblum and Ursay trade franchises, even swap, Colts for the Rams, okay? There were some other things involved. But throughout the rest of the 70s, the cold and deteriorating, you know, they were they were pretty bad heading. The Colts were 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 bad, okay? going into the early 80s. During that time, Ursay threatened to move the team. He wanted a new stadium on top of all of that. That was his whole purpose, right? The city, uh, they even call, uh, came up with an, an idea that I didn't know about till our research for that show called the Balto Dome and never manifested itself. Um, the construction for the Hoosier Dome actually began the year of the strike in 82 and behind closed doors, Ursay had been talking to multiple cities where we're to move and, and he ultimately settled in on Indianapolis but he never let the cat out of the bag he lied to the press and said we're not going nowhere but a last ditch effort for the city they tried to block a potential move and even trying to take his team but uh, you know they also tried to put together things like okay we'll build you one 
That went out the window. March 28th, 1984, a little bit before 10 p.m., 14 Mayflower tractor trailers, you know, the moving trucks pulled up to the Colts. Yeah, pull up. You know, we ready to go. You know, they had packed everything. And they were on their way. The Colts were on their way to Indianapolis. And just like they do, gone to Baltimore. Peace. Out. Gone. I mean, that was one of the craziest things I had ever seen and heard, you know. Um, other than, you know, those championship games, the 1976 playoffs, that was interesting. In the middle, or kind of at the, 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 the beginning, the second year of the Pittsburgh Steelers dynasty, um, what is now my wedding anniversary, a year before I was born, December 19th, 1976, the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the brakes off of the Colts at Memorial 40 to 14. A lot of fans had already left, right? Well, a 42 year old pilot by the name of Donald Croner decided he was going to buzz the stadium about 15 minutes after the game was over. Most of the crowd, again, they had left and he crashed into the upper deck. This dude, of course, he was arrested after the fact, but he was taken unconscious to the hospital with lacerations and such. And there were, he was one of four that were injured in the crash. The other three apparently were policemen. One was cut by the wing of the plane. Another, uh, the other two were treated for gasoline inhalation. Wow. The Orioles, they continued in Memorial Stadium after the Colts were gone and eventually moved to Canyon Yards. Uh, Memorial Stadium demolished in 2001 after an auction for Baltimore fans was put on where people could have a piece of the stadium before it was taken down. How about that? Uh, that's it you know, for this series. And I know there's so many other historical stages. Just remember, I have a lot of time and, and more, more shows to do. I don't want, want to use all my ammo up. You know what I'm saying? I don't have to crowd and put everything into every single show. It leaves me more room to have more to talk about. References, thanks to, we got a lot. ESPN.com, ProFootballReference.com, LAColiseum.com, and LeviesStadium.com. You know what? Levi's Stadium, I never thought it had, they was talking about the jeans, you know, the blue jean company. I didn't. Anyway, the New York Times, Rams signed contracts with Anaheim. This by the AP, Associated Press, November 22nd, 1978. The Athletic, Mark Caboli. Headline, fire Mike Tomlin, blow it all up. That wouldn't do the Steelers any good. I agree. The San Francisco Examiner, Kizar Stadium, a rough and tumble history lesson on the 49ers 75th birthday. This one written by Al Sarikovic. October 14th, 2021. Also from the New York Times. Plane crashes into stands. This newspaper article, December 20th, 1976. Also a couple of, well, one book rather. America's Game, the NFL at 100, written, co-written by Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams. Also a couple of videos I really love. 75 Seasons. The story of the NFL, really a movie. Uh, NFL throwback. The NFL explained the history of every NFL stadium. And finally, my eyes, ears, and brain. This has been the Behind the Mic podcast presented by Belly Up Sports, Belly Up Media, and the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. BellyUpSports.com. Go to it. Click on it. Check out the stories and the shows, especially this one. And then also, we can find us all on Megaphone and the favorites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. I'm out of breath. Please listen to my show or I'll find your house. I'm out. I'm out.